This episode marks the two-year anniversary of the Astro Guy podcast. I think that we've come a long way in that time, and I sincerely hope that you found it helpful in some way as well. Thank you so much to all our viewers and listeners for sticking around and spreading the word. Please keep doing so, as there are plans to make this channel even more fun and interesting in the future. Hopefully, you've been experiencing better weather than most of us were having earlier this summer. With the cooler weather coming, September evenings make for one of the most enjoyable times for amateur astronomy. At least here in New Jersey, September and October evenings usually have the most clear nights, and when combined with fewer bugs and cool evenings, it's a great recipe for a lot of great nights of astronomy. In this episode, we'll explore the planets, including Saturn, which is just past opposition and is very well placed for viewing on September evenings. We'll learn about the autumnal equinox, and we'll also discuss a possible naked eye comet that will be visible before dawn all month. And finally, we'll take a tour of some of the best examples of deep sky objects that can be seen on September evenings. Now, if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. The more subscribers we get, the more that we show up in YouTube searches, and that means more people can learn about the wonders of the night sky. If you're listening on audio, please leave us a nice review on your podcast platform. I'd really appreciate you doing that. So as we move forward, we're going to hold a contest. Now, while we still have a way to go, when we get to a thousand subscribers on YouTube, I'll be doing a drawing for anyone that comments and shares an upcoming video. The winner of the drawing will win a metal print of the North American and Pelican Nebula taken by me. So stay tuned as we'll be announcing the details of this as we get closer to reaching that goal. Remember to spread the word and tell your interested friends and family about the channel and please ask them to subscribe. Thanks. Well, we have a lot to cover this month, so let's get to it. Welcome to the Astro Guy Podcast. I'm not an expert, I'm an amateur like you. I'm here to learn and here to teach. So let's enjoy the ride together. Carpe Noctum, seize the night. Welcome to the Astro Guy Podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Zool. This month, we'll start with the Sun, which on September 23rd will cross the celestial equator into the southern celestial hemisphere, where it will remain until later in March of 2024. This is called the autumnal equinox, and it is the astronomical start of autumn in the northern hemisphere and spring in the southern hemisphere. On this day, nearly everywhere on the planet will experience equal parts day and night. For those of us north of the equator, nights will soon be longer than the daylight hours until the winter solstice, which for us will be the shortest amount of daylight and the longest night of the entire year. Now, let's move on to the planets for this month. September of 2023 sees just Saturn and Mars in the evening skies as darkness falls at the start of the month. More on both of those in a minute. Mercury is lost in the glow of the sun for the first part of the month, but by the morning of the 13th, if you have a clear, unobstructed eastern horizon, 
you should be able to spot Mercury low in the east, about eight and a half degrees directly below the magnitude 1.35 star Regulus in Leo. Mercury will be low, and you'll need a telescope or binoculars to pick it out of the glow. The 28-day-old moon will be about eight degrees above and slightly to the left of Mercury. Its 2.4% crescent will be tough to spot. Can you see it? Let us know in the comments. Mercury reaches its greatest western elongation on the morning of the 22nd, when it will be just less than 19 degrees from the sun. This won't be a great Mercury apparition, but with a good horizon, you should still be able to spot it as it's 19 degrees away from the sun. You should start looking for it about 40 to 60 minutes before sunrise. Mercury is glowing at magnitude minus 0.35, but binoculars or a telescope will help you spot it in the growing glow of the sunrise. On September 1st, Venus rises at 4.29 a.m., giving you nearly 90 minutes of observing time before the solar glare makes it too difficult to spot. By the end of the month, Venus rises around 3.18 in the morning, so you'll have hours to enjoy it. Venus is bright, starting the month at magnitude minus 4.6, and it will brighten to magnitude minus 4.7 by the end of the month. At the start of September, Venus is more than 51 arc seconds in diameter and shows a 9.6% illuminated crescent, while at the end of the month, more than 36% of the planet will be visible. Mars is still in the sky after sunset, but it's lost in the glare of the sun all month. But stay tuned as Mars will be putting on a show next year. Jupiter rises at 10.14 p.m. on September 1st. And on the 30th, it rises at 8.17 p.m. Jupiter comes to opposition in early November. But later on September evenings, the giant planet is well-placed in the sky. And it's bright, making it easy to find. Jupiter begins the month glowing at magnitude minus 2.6 and brightens slightly to magnitude minus 2.8 by the end of the month. Jupiter also grows slightly from 43 to 47 arc seconds by the end of the month. You can spot Jupiter in Aries all month long. On the morning of September 5th, around 2.30 a.m., you can spot Jupiter, the Moon, and the Pleiades all lined up. The Moon will be about 8 degrees away from the other two. This will be a beautiful naked eye spectacle. In binoculars, Jupiter will appear as a bright, bloated star. However, with some practice, you'll be able to make out the darker equatorial bands and the four Galilean moons, but the features and moons are best seen in a telescope. Saturn is once again the showstopper this month when it comes to the planets. Saturn spends all month in Aquarius and will be visible virtually all night long this month having come to opposition in late August. Saturn is easy to spot in Aquarius as the bright yellowish star. Using binoculars, you can just make out the rings of Saturn, but they look best in a telescope. If you've been watching Saturn for a while, you'll notice that its rings are becoming more on edge. And we talked about this last month, so you may want to watch or listen to that episode to learn about Saturn and how the rings appear different over time. In a telescope, you'll see the rings, and if the seeing is good, you might make out Cassini's division, a dark gap, visible in the rings. Careful observation may show the fainter bands of Saturn, 
but they're not as pronounced as they are on Jupiter. Either way, Saturn is just stunning in a telescope, and it's worth a look when you can see it in the sky. Saturn shines at magnitude 0.5 at the start of the month and dims very slightly to magnitude 0.6 by month's end. Saturn's disk spans just over 18 arc seconds, while if we count the whole planet with the rings, it's about 44 arc seconds in diameter. Uranus is in Aries all month and can be found about halfway between Jupiter and the Pleiades. Under the darkest of skies, you might be able to spot Uranus as a faint greenish-blue star. Binoculars will help you find it, and using a telescope, you might be able to make out the bluish disk of the planet. Uranus shines at magnitude 5.7 and spans just less than four arc seconds across. Now, I want to mention two previous episodes of the podcast, both in the Great Astronomer series. Episode two of the Great Astronomer series is all about Sir William Herschel, who discovered the planet Uranus. And just a couple of weeks ago, we released an episode about his sister, Caroline Herschel, who was the first woman to be paid as a professional astronomer. Her story is very interesting, and I'd urge you to go back and watch or listen to both of those episodes. Faint Neptune spends all month long in Pisces. You'll need a good finder chart and binoculars at a minimum to spot it. Neptune appears near the stars 20 and 24 Pisces, which can be helpful in locating it. Neptune glows dimly at magnitude 7.7 and only spans about two and a half arc seconds across. So you'll need good seeing and higher magnification to spot the bluish disk of this cold and distant world. On the night of August 11th of this year, Hideo Nishimura was out doing some imaging when he made an extraordinary discovery, a new comet. This comet is officially named Comet C-2023-P1 Nishimura. As I record this, the comet is shining at about magnitude 8.3 and gracefully gliding across the constellation Gemini in the early morning skies. The comet is expected to increase in brightness as it nears the sun, and it's possible that it will reach naked eye brightness around the middle of September. Estimates are that the comet could get as bright as third magnitude. This is a periodic comet, meaning that it is in orbit around the sun. Calculations are that it takes this comet 202 years to make one orbit around the sun. So if you want to see it, this is going to be your only chance. Currently, the comet is compact, spanning about five arc minutes in size, and is sporting a tail about eight arc minutes long. It's currently visible in binoculars, but it's up above the eastern horizon pretty early, so you'll need to get up and be outside about two hours before sunrise to try to glimpse this visitor in our celestial neighborhood. I'll put a link in the show notes to the comet's page on earthsky.org. Once you're there, you can put in your location and you can make custom finder charts for yourself for free. If you're happy with what earthsky.org is doing, please show your support by making a donation. They will appreciate it. Comet Nishimura will be closest to Earth on September 12th at a distance of about 78 million miles, and it will reach perihelion, its closest point to the sun, around 27 million miles on September 18th, so you want to try to spot it between now and then, as it will be lost in the glare of the sun after perihelion 
until sometime next month. Comets are very unpredictable objects, and while this particular comet is predicted to reach naked eye brightness, it could have an outburst and become even brighter, or it could just fizzle. Nobody really knows. So keep watching and reading about it, and do your best to get out there to see it. Please let us know if you saw it, and if you took pictures of it, please send them along as well. Moving outward from our solar system, let's examine several deep sky objects that are seen in the northern part of the Milky Way. All of the objects that we'll explore this month are easy targets in binoculars or a telescope at low power. Most are bright, some are even naked eye, but as with any deep sky object, dark skies, being far from artificial light, and letting your eyes fully adapt to the dark will always help when looking for DSOs. Our first object this month is the Dumbbell Nebula, cataloged as M27. The Dumbbell is a planetary nebula located in the constellation Volpecula the Fox. Planetary nebulae are the remains of dying stars. Unlike supermassive stars that die in a cataclysmic explosion called the supernova, and we'll examine one of those in a few minutes. Anyway, smaller stars, including stars like our Sun, tend to puff off their outer shells of gas, expanding over time to thousands of times their original size, eventually sloughing off enough gas until the star becomes a white dwarf. Most planetary nebulae are somewhat spherical, hence the name, planetary nebulae. M27 to me at the eyepiece looks more like an apple core than a dumbbell. You could spot it in binoculars as a small diffuse glow, but in a telescope, this object is a lot of fun to observe. I suggest using your lowest magnification to locate the dumbbell. Once you've found it, you'll want to increase the magnification and see what different details you're able to pick out. The more time you spend observing it, the more that you'll be able to detect. If you have a nebula filter, that will help increase the contrast. An O3 filter works well on this object. If you're using a large enough telescope under dark skies, try to spot the central star, a white dwarf star that glows dimly at magnitude 13.5. M27 is located about 1,360 light years away from us. It glows at magnitude 7.4 and spans eight by five and a half arc minutes in size. To locate the dumbbell, find the tiny constellation Sagitta, the arrow. From Gamma Sagitta, the star that represents the head of the arrow, sweep north three and a quarter degrees, and you should see the nebula in a low power eyepiece. Planetary nebula are fun objects, so let's explore another one that's nearly overhead on September evenings. I'm referring to the famous Ring Nebula, M57, in the constellation Lyra the Lyre. The ring is pretty bright and compact. It can be seen with large binoculars, but it can be hard to distinguish from other stars. You'll get your best views of the ring through a telescope. The ring nebula definitely looks like a ring. In long exposure images, it appears red and green, but visually, it'll look gray or slightly greenish, especially if you're using a nebula filter. The ring glows at magnitude 8.8 .8 and spans about 3.8 arc minutes in diameter. It's pretty small and will hold up well at a higher magnification. It is located about 2,570 light years away from us. This object has been well studied for a long time 
and astronomers have determined that it is still expanding by a rate of about one arc second every 100 years. Locating the ring is easy. Find the magnitude zero star Vega. It will be nearly overhead as darkness falls this month. Just southeast of Vega lies a parallelogram of four stars that are third and fourth magnitude. Right near the center of the pair of the third magnitude stars is where you'll find the ring. Our next object is an easy target for binoculars, even under moderately light polluted skies. It can be seen with the naked eye under very dark skies. Let's take a look at Brocky's Cluster, which is cataloged as Colander 399 and is often referred to as the Coat Hanger. Until the 1990s, it was thought that this was actually an open cluster, but studies have shown that none of the stars are gravitationally bound, meaning that this is not an open cluster, but just an asterism. An asterism is a grouping of unassociated stars that is smaller than a constellation. Some well-known asterisms are the Teapot in Sagittarius and the Big Dipper in Ursa Major. So the coat hanger is an asterism that resembles a coat hanger. Four stars make up a hook, and another six stars represent the bar that you'd hang your coat on. The coat hanger spans about one degree in diameter and glows at magnitude 3.6. Locating it is easy as well. Go back to Sagita, the arrow, and find the two stars that make up the back part of the tail of the arrow. If you make a line connecting those two stars, they point north and slightly east. Follow that line past the tail for two and a half degrees, and then sweep east two degrees, and you'll spot the cluster. Honestly, this is one of my very favorite binocular objects. I hope that you enjoy it as well. Our next stop this month will be the open cluster M29 and Cygnus, the swan. This cluster is relatively small and bright, making it easy to spot in binoculars or a small telescope. However, it's not the densest of open clusters. The cluster is made up of about 50 stars that are more than 5,200 light years away from us. Of those 50 stars, only about 20 can be seen visually, unless, of course, you're using a very large telescope. The cluster shines at magnitude 6.6 .6 and spans about 3.6 by 3.6 arc minutes in size. Locating the cluster is easy. Spot the summer triangle and go to the first magnitude star Deneb, the northernmost star in the triangle. Located just over 6 degrees southwest of Deneb is the star Seder, or Gamma Cygni. From Seder, Sweep south a little less than two degrees and you'll spot the cluster. This part of the Milky Way holds lots of great open clusters. And another fun one is not too far away from M29. But this one is a bit more impressive. Let's take a look at M39, also located in Cygnus. This cluster is located about 1,000 light years from us. And it is made up of about 40 stars. It's bright at magnitude 5.5 and spans about 29 arc minutes, making it about the same size in the sky as the full moon. In binoculars, the cluster appears as a hazy mottled patch of light, while in a telescope, you should be able to resolve around two dozen stars within the cluster. This is a very pretty cluster and it looks best in binoculars or a telescope at low power. 
Locating M39 is also easy. Start at Deneb and sweep 9 degrees east until you come to a fourth magnitude star. From this star, sweep north a little less than 3 degrees and you'll spot the cluster. The next object is best seen from dark skies. It can be a challenge, but with practice, you'll be able to spot it easily, even from moderately light-polluted skies with the right equipment and practice. Now, this is a big object that can be seen with binoculars. Big binoculars will really help, but I've seen it easily with 7x50 binoculars. It also looks great in a telescope, especially at low power. My favorite views of this object have been with a 70mm refractor working at only 13 power with a wide field eyepiece that reveals more than 5 degrees of sky. I promise, low power is better for the Veil Nebula and Cygnus. This is a supernova remnant from a supernova explosion that occurred between 10 and 20,000 years ago. We see several different parts of the veil, the brightest two being NGC 6992, the Western Veil Nebula, and NGC 6990, the Eastern Veil Nebula, which is sometimes referred to as the Witch's Broom. Located about 2,100 light years from us, the entire veil complex spans about 110 light years across. And in our skies, it spans more than three degrees in size. It glows dimly at magnitude seven. If you're new to observing the veil, you'll find that a nebula filter, like an O3 filter, or a UHC filter, will really help with the contrast and will make spotting the ghostly glow of the nebula much easier. Fortunately, the veil is easy to locate among the brighter stars of Cygnus. The complex is located just south of the stars Zeta and Epsilon Cygni. The eastern veil can be easier to find as it's next to the fourth magnitude star, 52 Cygni. Use all the tools that you have to help with this one. Averted vision, looking to the edge of the field, allows your peripheral vision to spot dim objects. Slowly sweeping the area with your telescope or binoculars will help as well. This is a great object that will likely become a favorite of yours as well. Our last object on this month's tour is a great example of a globular cluster. This object, M15, will be best seen later in the evening when it will be higher in the sky. This is easy to spot with binoculars and under very dark skies, you might be able to spot this cluster with the naked eye. In binoculars, M15 resembles a round patch of mottled light, while in a telescope, you can resolve dozens of stars within the cluster. You can use moderate to high magnification on this object, but low to moderate magnification will likely yield better views as the contrast will be better. Located 35,700 light years away from us, M15 is one of the oldest known globular clusters at an age of approximately 12 billion years old. The cluster glows at magnitude 6.2 and spans 18 arc minutes in diameter. It's made up of about 100,000 stars and astronomers have seen evidence of a black hole at the center of the cluster. Finding M15 is pretty easy as well. Start by finding the great square of Pegasus. The bottom right corner of the square is marked by the magnitude 2.4 star Markab. From Markab, you'll see a similarly bright star 
20 degrees west and slightly south. That is the star Enif. From Enif, sweep 3.5 degrees west and then 2.5 degrees north, and you should see the cluster. I do hope that you'll go out and find and enjoy these objects and that they become favorites of yours as well. Well, that's all for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope that you found our time together to be fun and helpful. If you have questions or episode suggestions, please email us at astroguypodcast at gmail.com or leave us a text or a voicemail at 973-404-0380. If you're not already a member, please join the Astro Guy Podcast group on Facebook. You'll find other members, videos, blogs, and lots of other useful information there for your enjoyment. You can also visit our YouTube channel, the Astro Guy Podcast, for past episodes and other surprises. Please subscribe. Please consider leaving us a review on your podcast platform. It helps us to get new listeners. Thank you again for listening, and may your skies be clear. As always, Carpe Noctum. Seize the night. I'm Wayne Zool, and this was the Astro Guy Podcast. Thank you for listening. As always, your questions, comments, and suggestions are welcome. Keep wondering. Keep your eyes on the sky. Have fun. Carpe Noctum. Seize the night.